All right. Thanks for waking us up with some praise there, right? Thank you, Terry, choir, orchestra, praise band, soloists. Always good for people to use their gifts and talents for God. Only way it lasts, right? Good to see you this morning. Welcome those watching our simulcast this morning from all around the world. Uh, we welcome you this morning. Blessed to have you here. We'll be continuing in a mini-series I've got dealing with memorizing this entire... No, just kidding. Dealing with a couple of people of interest there have actually universal symbolism in both of them. As we think about some of the great questions of history, I've got a list of the eight greatest philosophical questions of all time we're going to be looking at today. Before I start with one of the great philosophical questions of all time, I have a question for you. Are you ready? You know how much I like to study nature, right? But I'm going to ask you, maybe some of you know. What has 148 legs and 18 teeth? It's a hard one, but when you think about it, you'll get it. Bubba's family reunion. It's bad. It's very bad. I see the aftershock getting in there. The aftershock, right? Terry, anyway... I start off with a ludicrous kind of, of a comment because today we're going to be looking at some dynamics that have to do with, well, do you know what you're reading? That's the question that was poised by Philip, the Ethiopian eunuch, someone that is reading out of God's Word. And Philip wants to know, do you know what you're reading? And so the question is not just for him today. The question's for me. It's for you. We're going to look at some of these philosophical questions, the greatest ones that's synergized from some lists. These are secular lists. By that I mean these are not taken from religious polls. They're just polls in general. A lot from university students and philosophy classes. A lot given to adults, different people on the street. What are these eight philosophical questions? As we look at that, I want to get into today's message first of all. A soul-seeking saint in Philip and a God-seeking soul. There is a vacuum inside of humanity that's looking for a meaning of life, existence. What do I do? What is significant in life? Today we see, as we pick up in Acts 8.31, how this passage has been going. It says in Acts 8.31, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the question before that from last week In verse 30, do you understand what you are reading? Let me take a quick recap and remind you. The Spirit of God directs Philip to go on the desert road, the road to Gaza. On that road, we find the Ethiopian eunuch that come come all the way, hundreds and hundreds of miles, to Jerusalem for a season of worship. No doubt, this very, very important individual, a VIP, from that great nation down there, is in a really nice chariot, probably covered, had some shading on it. It was rather large. And he has an entourage with him, but of course he would. He's a very, very valuable person to that kingdom. No doubt they are going along with the chariot. He's got people that have uh, directing where this chariot should go. We have people that are carrying supplies. And so it's not just the Ethiopian eunuch driving alone or with a driver, there's an entourage. Alongside of that entourage, we find Philip. 
pretty bizarre when you think about it. Philip, well, when you have an entourage and you have security around that entourage, I wonder if there were some issues that existed as he's getting closer to that chariot. But we find that the Ethiopian eunuch has been reading Scripture out loud. Now, that was some of the habit of the day, but also I wonder if he wanted his entourage to hear from Isaiah, to hear about the prophet Isaiah. So he's reading it aloud. Philip, it presupposes he's reading it aloud because Philip hears it and he asks him, do you understand what you are reading? All through today's message, I'm going to repeat that motif for me and for you because it has significance to us today. Do we know what we are reading? Stay with me. As we look at this, we're going to see from a scroll. This is from the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Qumran Scrolls. This is where the Ethiopian eunuch would be reading from. You can see the scroll there, and you can see the text as he's reading along. Fascinating, we have these copies that go all the way back uh, just thousands of years into this time we can look at it, the same one you would see translated into English in your Bible today. Very interesting. So he's got a scroll like that. He's reading from it. And he says, when Philip asked that question, how can I? How can I? Well, unless someone explains it to me. I guess what really is probably eye-opening, is when you look at our world today, we had someone, one of our own members that spoke about a mission trip up to Vermont where they were doing some church planning, and the statistics from that particular state where up in New England where the pilgrims landed had just a real haven of, of biblical Christianity, that the statistics now less than 1% of the population in that state consider themselves evangelical or believers. And so it's interesting to see what happened. What happened is easy to point fingers. I don't want to say today, I don't want to be simplistic, many things happened. But I can only talk about, just like when I'm speaking to someone, maybe in counseling in my office, and they come in and they begin sharing something about their spouse, I usually stop and say... All we can work on is you today. We can have you both together. And so I'm saying to you today and to myself, all I can work on is me. Because just to look at this as part of history and of truth, and it is, puts it in a different context. I want the context to be today. Do you understand what you are reading? We see that great line that comes, how can I, unless someone explains it to me. I want to read you from this list of the eight greatest philosophical questions of all time. I've just taken these kind of randomly. One that's on there, does God exist? Of the greatest philosophical questions of all time, does God exist? Some of you perhaps in your philosophy classes even now, Go over those different things. Does God exist? They have different questions that come from that. Well, Romans ten fourteen tells us, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe unless the one whom they have not heard? 
And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Now, it's not talking about preachers only. It's talking about someone. Me, you, at universities and high schools, middle schools, workplaces, neighborhood. How can they hear unless someone's willing to take a risk? Unless someone's willing to be out there and say, God, I'm going to listen to you. Do I really, do I really know what I am reading? And so... Philip was prepared to address the Ethiopian eunuch. He was confused regarding Scripture. Do you think people are confused today regarding Scripture? I'm not talking about the, the, the secular world out there. I'm talking about us. There's lots of people so confused they don't speak about it. They don't witness. They're confused because they believe, you know, I walked an aisle and I'm okay. I, I'm, I'm, I'm confused enough to use it as an excuse. I'll not go out there and make every day an evangelistic event in my life or be open to it because I don't know enough yet. I've only known Jesus two years, four years, 40 years, 60 years. Do you really know what you're reading? Let me just say today, I know this message is not a comfort message today. Get it, okay? And if you wore steel-toed shoes, okay, that's fine. Just remember, I have to repair this before I ever preach it, okay? And so my steel-toed shoes are worn out. I say this today because it's convicting. Because I can look out there at the world just like you can and say, what happened to morals? What happened to God belief? Why is it we see statistics in New England and in our own state that tells us Many people have gravitated away from biblical authority. Where we see redefining of relationships, redefining of gender, redefining of morals. We can say, look what they're doing. But I have to ask myself the question, have I been part of the solution or part of the problem? And you see, I'm part of the problem when I decide I'm going to get a path for myself. I'm going to take a path for myself. I'm not going to suit up and show up. I'm just going to be out there. I'll count this as being a witness. And ladies and gentlemen, we need to be here. Absolutely. But two or three hours a week is not a substitute for me to be on an evangelistic journey every single day. And look and say, what does God have for my life? And listen, I know how perspective can get changed in a minute. We have grades to work on, relationships we're maintaining. There's jobs, our bosses want certain things. Whatever it is in this season of life, there's always something, isn't there? It doesn't matter what season in life you're in. There's always some dynamic to deal with, isn't there? Sure, I can't wait till i married and have kids. Then my worries will be over, <laughs> right? Sounds like Bubba, doesn't it? Another one of the greatest, greatest philosophical questions of all time, what is the meaning of life? Do you know that many believers portray it as just whatever you want to believe? They do? Yeah, by being silent. By being silent. Sadly, I was at, I've been at some occasions in some of our nursing care facilities in our city. It's shocking to me how many people in their 80s and 90s, and I spoke with some of them at different tables, at different occasions, that say, I hope, I hope I'm going to heaven, Pastor. I hope I can get there. I've been a pretty good person. Dear friend, if you're claiming being a good person to get you to heaven, if 
I declare from my pulpit that if you're good, it doesn't matter what the religion is because they all lead to God. I'd be a liar and under the anathema of God. The Word of God, Jesus Himself teaches, there's no other way to heaven except through me. You see, no other leader, no other philosophy, no other idea tells you that God loved you. God died on the cross for your sins because He loved you. He shed His blood. He rose from the tomb. And He is salvation. He's the only way of salvation. It's not through a system. It's through a Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. He conquered sin and death. And that's the message of hope. That is the message. Now, lots of people have ideas. And I had my own too when I was really smart before I became a dumb Christian, right? I had my ideas too. Well, how can, how can everybody, you know, just be wrong? Well, I always noticed in my class that I didn't always get a hundred because sometimes I was what? Wrong. And it wasn't offensive to me. It was sometimes to my father, but not to me. <laughs> I didn't make a hundred on something. It's just as part of it. We're all fallen creatures of dust, aren't we? So here today, what I'm saying to you is don't go out there and be Billy Graham. There's already been Billy Graham or the Apostle Paul. Go out and say, God, I, want, I don't have some unrealistic thing. I, I'm going to change the world. Ask God to help you to change your world. Your, your world it will intersect perhaps with someone else's. Just think of this group in here today, both, both services and tonight. Think about and Thursday night for that matter. If we'll just say, God, I want to be used in my world. I'm open to be used. Today is an evangelistic opportunity. God, I have my eyes open and waiting for you. If we would just do our job, and if we had been doing it, I wonder if we'd see the world the way it is today. I wonder if things would have turned differently, the educational system and every other thing that stems from it. I'm not trying to be simplistic. I'm just saying, ask yourself the question, have you been used by God to help change your world? Now, if it seems lacking in it, and if it seems uncomfortable in it, I'm okay with that. I don't apologize for it, because I have to be uncomfortable in that also, if it's not true of me. But the bottom line is, we are the ones that claim to have the truth, the life, the way, and we're the ones who've allowed fear friends, family, to keep our mouths shut. Have we not? Isn't it fear? We want respect. We want to look respectable, don't we? And you see, we value the opinion of people over the opinion of God. Philip is here this day. Do you know what you are reading? Here's what the Word of God says in 1 Peter 3.15. This is not a suggestion. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as what? As Lord, Lord broken down to his easiest understandable essence is boss. He's the master. If he's the master of my life, who am I supposed to follow, me or him? You see, many have put, set aside apart Christ as Savior, and they leave it there. Jesus is simultaneously Savior and Lord. And as that, he has an expectation of us. What is it? Sanctify him in your hearts. That means set apart Jesus Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. Not a suggestion, it's a command. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I look at some of the greatest philosophical questions of all time. Does God exist? What is the meaning of life? And another one. 
what happens next. Like the Ethiopian eunuch, our society is living without bounds. They're not between the lines of anything. They're living in a subjective world. The Ethiopian eunuch is reading from it. He has an entourage with him. He's come all this way. He was around. Listen, this is convicting. He went to the most religious city of his time in Jerusalem, is around religious people, religious leaders, and he's leaving there with no answer. Boy, it sounds really, really harsh, doesn't it? But it sounds too close to our world today, doesn't it? People are rubbing souls with believers all over. And I, I wonder how much of the word is getting out. I wonder how much we fall into the tyranny of fear, the tyranny of respectability, the tyranny of being liked, the tyranny that we may have to suffer a little bit of persecution for Jesus after he hung and died on that cross. You see, the word of God tells us a great story. There's just a guy, Philip, doesn't say he had any special seminary education, doesn't say he had any special gifts, other than God said, I want you to go on the road to God's. And the first thing he does is, I'm obedient, I'm going to go. He didn't say, you know, God doesn't make sense. God says, hello, let me knock on your head. Does a, uh, does a golden plover make sense to you? God, what's that? Does a worm make sense to you? Does a million different types of spiders make sense to you? Come on! If there's a true and living God that created all that we see simultaneously and spoke it into existence so it all fits together, do you think everything God will ever tell me or you will make sense to my mind? What an arrogant thing if I would think that. In fact, there's many times where it doesn't make sense, you better act on it because you know it's not you. Okay? I'm not talking about it doesn't make sense to buy a Corvette now, but I better go buy one. Maybe God. I'm talking about spiritual things. When you hear that voice in your head that says, talk to that person, give a track to that person. Thank you. Did that fall down? Look at that. All that hot air made, I mean, all that air. (laughs) Thank you, Larry. Thank you. Word of God is clear. You see, God's word is powerful. What does the apostle Paul say? There was a time when Saul was ashamed of Jesus, ashamed of, of these believers, these Christians, the people of the way. But here's what he learns to say in Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed. You can put parenthetically, anymore. I'm not ashamed anymore of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to, for the Gentiles. You see, he was ashamed of it. He was going out, taking people to prison, locking them up. He decided it would be his business because he was ashamed of Jesus. A lot of believers, I know it, that act like they're ashamed of Jesus. Shamed. Can't open my mouth about him. Not the right timing yet. Maybe next week, next year, next decade, next millennium, whatever. We find all kinds of ways to excuse that. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to teach and preach the Word of God. I'm sorry that so many places today, even some of the tradition I grew up in, have wandered away from what that book says. We've become so sophisticated. And let me just tell you, there's been buy-in in so many churches to throw it out. Let's go and gravitate to what's the latest, greatest thing. Do you think God needs some correction by fallen human beings? Hmm? God didn't figure that out. Now, now that we're enlightened, can I tell you, with all our enlightenment, there's more relational breakups There's more illicit relationships. 
There's more people under psychotherapy and care. There's more people having to take depression, prescription drugs. There's more people that suffer today. Tell me, how much has the subjective society really helped? I have here something called, it's kind of, it's, it's a Bible. I thought this was really big. Then I looked at mine and said, it's not that big. But it's called a family Bible. And right in the front of it, that's what it says, pictorial family Bible. And in many Bibles like this, this one's about 130 years old, and it's in beautiful condition. I don't know how good that is, but there, I can hold that still. Let me see. Whoop, there you go. There you go. And it's got different depictions in it. You can put your marriage history, your family history. It's got deaths, births, all that kind of thing. Got beautiful depictions of family to look at and read together. That's what it was made for. It talks about this in the introduction to this, to read together to look at it, to study it, to find principles for life, things to memorize in it in certain pages. It's beautiful. Do you understand what you're reading? The Word of God is very clear. The Word of God is meant for all people. It's there to set us free from the tyranny of ourselves. It's there to tell me and to tell you when we're right and when we're not right. When Jesus is truly the Lord of our lives, when we're not. There's not a Lord saying in Matthew 7, 21, many, many will come to me that last day and say, Lord, Lord, and the list of all the wonderful things they did, trying to buy their way to heaven. Heaven can't be bought except by one who bought it for us. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the one that allows us to have entrance into heaven by what he has done. No matter what philosophy you have, let me ask you something. Do you have real peace and assurance? about where you're going when you die? What does your religion do regarding forgiveness of sin? What does it do about regarding heaven, regarding hell? Oh, excuse me. Many don't believe in hell because it begs the question, well, what happens next? And why is there something rather than nothing? Human questions. You see, we've decided hell can't be true. We're too sophisticated for it. Jesus said it's true. People want to take that part of Jesus. Someone said to me recently, well, you know, I believe Jesus was a good person. I said, what makes you say that? Well, I've seen, you know, I heard the story about that. What makes you say Jesus was a good person? Jesus wasn't a good person. Jesus was God who took on flesh. Jesus was more than just a good person like you or me. How many people consider themselves on earth pretty good people? Right? It's amazing. Have you ever done prison ministry? I've done so right. I've, I've met very few guilty people there. It's amazing, isn't it? It's a, do you know? Now listen to me. Putting t- people can get caught doing something and say, I'm not guilty. Been there. Done that. I'm not, this is not my fault. I didn't do it. I'm just talking about the human condition. Only with Jesus Christ as your Lord can you look at yourself and be busted by the Holy Spirit because you're open to it and say, God, you know what? I am part of the problem. I'm not going to look at that person I'm better than them or I'm doing a better job. At least I'm showing up. That's not going to fly with Jesus. At least I showed up. I came to your party, but, you know, I don't have any. I, don't bring, I bring nothing with me the rest of the year. God wants us every single day 
be able to answer that question. Do you understand what you're reading about the Lord? About sanctifying the Lord God in your heart? Be ready always. It's a command to give an answer to this world. To questions like, does God exist? What's the meaning of life? What happens next? Is there, why is there something rather than nothing? And, who am I? The Bible gives the answers to these things. The Bible gives authority from God Almighty to tell us what these things are about. Do we have all the answers? Nope. If you're waiting, dear friend, if you're out there and you're waiting to find every answer to every question, you'll get caught in the paralysis of analysis and you'll try and figure it out yourself. God gives a record of his love and his care. He loves us. He created us and wants us to have a relationship with him, but it's on his terms. God is not some cosmic idiot that decides whatever way you want is good for me because I'm not truthful anyway. God must stand for truth, and he does stand for truth. Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. So we have in Acts 8.32, the eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture, and this is what he's reading. Now, by the way, think how crazy this is. Think for a moment. Isaiah is a pretty good book. This is chapter 53. It's a big, it's a big scroll. At the exact time that Philip is there, he's reading prophecy about Jesus. That was just a coincidence. And yet we look at that and say, wow, that's cool. Does God work like that today? Well, God's not as smart anymore. He's lost a lot of power. I'm winking. Of course he can. And of course he will. The problem is I wonder how many people really understand what they're reading to say God wants to work through me today. I have a responsibility for God to work through me to change my world. God, I want to look for those kinds of opportunities because it may not come in the same way of voicing it, who is this speaking about, but they want to know what life is speaking about. These are the philosophical questions of the day. And we have the answer. Philip was ready. Word of God tells us. He was reading from this passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before his shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. Wow. What's going on there? What's happening there? This exact place, as I said, was a prediction about the Messiah. We could read now in the Gospels to see what happened to Jesus. I remember as a young Christian wondering, why didn't Jesus just tell them when they asked him questions? Who, they're asking him all kinds of questions. He'd already answered all those through his ministry. But this is the point where Jesus how to put aside all the other issues where he could have vindicated himself instantly. He said, my love for you is greater than the love I have of trying to vindicate myself before these other human beings. Because when I go to the cross, I'm even dying for them. Wow. Four significant elements. Four significant elements of the Messiah. From this passage, he was led like sheep to the slaughter. The Ethiopian eunuch wants to know, is the prophet talking about himself or someone else. In our world, what are we talking about? Where did we come from? Where do we go? Is the Bible true? Is there historicity there that we can count on? Is there prophecy there that we know? There's no excuse to not know it. Now with instantaneous knowledge of all kinds of things, you can go on sites and find it out. I wonder, I wonder. Have you ever left your home or your car 
and you feel your pocket. And what do you think? What do you, what do you think I'm going to say? Cell phone, right? Huh? How do you feel when you, for, when you forget your cell phone someplace? Hmm? The God. Little G, little O, little D. What if we had that kind of concern because we leave this right here or right in our devotional closet? Would we freak out about it? Oh my goodness, what will happen? I can't hear from Billy and Sue. See, Pastor, that's unfair. It's not the same thing. No, it's not. God's cause is way higher than that. Way higher than a cell phone. That's why I say today just convicting because it's true. You see, truth sometimes is painful and it hurts. But the great thing about truth is if there's something that is false or errant or disobedient in my life, the great news is if you're here today, if you're listening to the Spirit of God, God can change us. Can He? They say, God, you know what? Yes, I'm, I'm going to be open to that. I may fail, but I'm looking to be on an evangelistic mission today, tomorrow, in my school, in my class, in my life. Unbelievable what happened. Look at this passage. It says in Matthew 27, 46, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sambathani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I was so confused about that for so long. What does it mean? Why did God forsake Jesus? Because... Jesus, when we think about him dying for our sins, we think of a physical death. And it did, was a physical death. But he's saying this because to not know Jesus will be forsaken. You'll be forsaken forever in a place called hell. Why have you forsaken him? Because the sins of the world came upon him. And the Father turned his back on that because Jesus took our hell. It's called the second death. And we won't have to suffer the second death because of Jesus dying and paying for our sins and his resurrection. Why did you forsake me? For me. Death could be because of me and because of you. That's why Jesus took our hell, that separation. And it said after that, he breathed his last and he died. It, it killed him, that separation. Word of God tells us very clearly Messiah's death was like a sheep going to the slaughter. Secondly, the Messiah's death was something else. His willingness to die as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Why didn't he? Well, look at Matthew 27, 12 through 14. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. And Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony you're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even a single charge to the great amazement of the governor. Jesus knew who he was, didn't he? He made no reply because his mission was way more important than getting out all the replies at the time. His mission, God expects us to be on mission for him. Not be looking to get and, and vindicate and validate ourselves, but to validate God's word in our lives through how we live, what we do, and the simple things we can do each day. There's blessings for classrooms, blessings for neighborhoods, blessings for workplaces. Go with the idea, I'm going to be a blessing. I'm going to just start a conversation by bringing a pie or some cookies today. I'm going to start something by doing whatever. Throwing a party, inviting people to my house. That's what Matthew did. It's not complicated. They're human beings, they're people. Listen to these eight greatest 
philosophical questions of all time. Does God exist? Is there meaning to life? What happens next? Is it, why is there something rather than nothing? Who am I? How do I know what right or wrong is? How do I know what right or wrong is? Isn't that one of the questions of the day? Do you have an answer for that? You see, the world, these are questions that are innate in all of people. What is right? What is wrong? Most people find, justify themselves, this is right. But that, that doesn't matter. What matters is we have an answer for that, and God expects us to give that. Jesus had a willingness to go do it, to die for us. He said, no man takes my life, I give it. Bring up the next slide. His humiliation and death. It's, as, as think, this, this man's reading this. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who is that talking about? Ethiopian wants to know. There was justice owed to Jesus, and it was taken away. In Luke 22, 62, uh, 63 and 64, the men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? How gross is that? How gross is that? Let me ask you something. You think Jesus could have prophesied? And said, I'll tell you who. And levitated them all off the ground. And said, I've got a cross for you. It's going to appear. Jesus kept his mouth silent in humiliation. He wasn't even afforded a decent trial. That's what they did to him. Those people took canes, sticks, poles, butt end of swords, their fist, and beat him where the word of God says he lost human form. They deformed him by hitting him so much. His willingness, that's his love for us, friend. If you're sitting here or you're listening out in a simulcast, you can never deny God's love for you. That's what he endured for us. Bring up the next one, please. His descendants. Who can speak of his descendants? Who is this talking about, Philip? The prophet or someone else? Could it be Jesus? Jesus didn't marry. He had no descendants. He had no children. Think about it. Who can number the amount of Jesus' followers since the time of his death? Hmm? In John 1.12 it says, But many has received him to those who give the power to become the children of God. How many descendants has Jesus had over the years? Followers of Jesus. I looked it up to say, how many people over history have believed in Jesus? Of course there's no comprehensive answer, right? I looked it up anyway. Right? Just to see. There's estimates of how many hundreds of millions, I'm say two billion, whatever. I don't know. But it's, it's, it's hundreds of millions. Hundreds of millions. It says, who can speak of his descendants? It's so large and so huge. Now think about it, though. At the time of his death, most every disciple left him. We find John there at the cross. And you don't have a great start. No one that has any Christian worldview is in power. Rome's in power. The religious system hated Jesus. Is this thing going to survive? Will Jesus have followers and descendants? Before there was a Greensboro, North Carolina, it says, what about it? There won't be numbered. Who can speak of his descendants? We can. We can. But do we? Do you understand what you're reading? Unbelievable. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. 
Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. At the very start, what looked like it would go nowhere. We've got him, we crucified him, we put him in a tomb, it's not going any place. Look what has happened since then. What a prophecy that is. A great one to use during this time of year with Easter. That Jesus really has a a resurrection, no one's ever come back from the dead. Well, have an answer for that. That's what the Word of God says. Ask them. Don't just get pushed down and say, I don't have an answer for that. You know, no, I've never seen anyone come back from the dead. Well, there's some answers for that. There's some answers. There's some logical answers. There's some biblical answers that fit and congeal together. Have some answers for it. God wants us to have that. Bring up the next slide. Thank you. It says, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? My goodness, what a powerful thing. The man just didn't understand Scripture. That Bible is so misunderstood today. People just don't understand it. They've been told not to believe in it. They've been told it's wrong. They've been told there is no God. They've been told God's not a creator. And we have sometimes, by default, bought into it. Do you understand what you're reading? You see, this man, this Ethiopian, he attended religious ceremonies. He rubbed soldiers with religious people, and he was sincere. I wonder when he left Jerusalem with no answers, if there's not places filled with believers today that go out and others don't hear anything from them. Do you understand what you're reading? You see, this man didn't know the truth about Jesus Christ. He didn't. He wanted to know, though, those eight fundamental questions that secular people have put together in a human dilemma does God exist? What's the meaning of life? What happens next? Is there some, why is there something rather than nothing? Who am I? How do I know what right or wrong is? And what am I supposed to do? Wow. Luke 14, 23, the master told the servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. You think that's just for them back then or for me and for you? Do we understand what we're reading? Do we understand making Jesus Lord of our lives, receiving him means that I am by God's decree supposed to be evangelizing in this world, to open up my mouth, to share with people the good news. Will everyone believe? No. Will you be rejected sometimes? Yes. Will you lose some friends perhaps? Maybe. That's not the point. We focus on everything about me. What about God? What about what he says? You see, to make Jesus Lord of our lives means he's the boss. That means I don't default to feelings. I default to the fact of who God is. Not of, that, that, that makes me uncomfortable. I'm not comfortable with that. How many times can we hide behind that and look at Jesus Christ our Lord in the face and say, next time, next year, when I learn more, when I do that, next class, next meeting, next job, next, whatever. God says, I want you to understand what you're reading. And I'm serious. I want you to have an answer for everyone to ask a reason of the hope that is in you. Sanctify me as Lord in your life, not just your Savior, as your Lord. Give me control of that. You don't have to force it. Just look for opportunities. 
and allow God, when the opportunity comes, step through that door. God will open them up. Once again, not a person in this room who believes that timing for the Ethiopian eunuch, read that exact passage at the time that it was a coincidence. You may meet the next person that has several of these questions on their heart. Does God exist? Is he true? What is life all about? What happens after this? We have the answers. And if we don't have all the answers, we'll look to find an answer for someone. There are some things that are unanswerable. But many, many things are. And it's not a cop-out for us to say, I can't have all the answers. Therefore, I'll not talk to anyone because I may not look smart. I may, whatever. Then become smarter. Use the artificial intelligence devices. Great Christian sites on there to learn about those things. How do you witness this kind of person? What's an effective way to talk to this person? What do I, and wow. If we value this, if we freaked out as much about, oh my goodness, I left my testimony, I left the word of God in my prayer closet in my church. If we did the same thing we did with our phones, I wonder if we valued this like we valued those things would begin to happen. We put those excuses aside and come to value God's word. As pastors come forward, do you understand what you're reading? I'm talking to me, I'm talking to you. Understand that God has expectations. To understand that you personally will stand before God to answer in your life about how you are obedient to Him as your Lord and Savior. Friend, if you're feeling uncomfortable now, it's not me. If I were to tell you my philosophy of life before I knew Jesus, probably make a lot of people happy, some mad, whatever. Didn't make any difference anyway. You die and that's it. But if you're feeling today some anger toward me, toward God's word, or you think that's a really crazy interpretation, I challenge you, look up the word Lord. Look up the passage in 1 Peter, the Apostle Peter. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Be ready always to give an answer to everyone ask a reason of the hope that is in you. Go out into the highways and byways. Compel them to come in. How do you reinterpret that? You see, we can reinterpret it for our own comfort. That makes me feel comfortable. I, I, I don't have any culpability. Aren't we something? We're a mess without Jesus, aren't we? Aren't we? Thank you. If today you'd like to come forward and pray with someone, one of our pastors up here, one of our deacons, or pray alone, today may de- be a day of rededication to say, yes, every day, God, I want to seek to make you Lord, not just in some superficial way, but Lord of my class, Lord of my workplace, Lord of the witness. God, I just want to follow you. And God, yeah, I may fail, but at least I'm on that road. I'm going to be willing to risk and fail with you. and Put it on the line. If you don't have a church home, I invite you to come today as a candidate for membership. It's not about signing on the dotted line. It's about having a relationship with Jesus, believing he's the only way to get to heaven. This church can't save you. I can't save you. Only Jesus can save you, period. That's the Bible's record. He's the Savior and he's the Lord. He bled and died on the cross. He went like a lamb before the slaughter, gave his life willingly for me and for you. He gave it. He bled and died. They put him in a tomb. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He offers eternal life as a gift if you receive him as the only way to save you, the Savior. 
and also as the Lord. You don't separate them. He's both. That is, you begin to give him control of your life. You die to yourself and you live for him. It's called sanctification. Many people forget that part. But he expects his children to be obedient and follow him. Period. So wherever you are today, please stand. We're not going to wait long. God's already spoken to your heart. Please come and respond to the truth of God's work in your life.